Hey everyone, uh, welcome to church. Uh, we are in strange times. Uh, we are having our first church service uh, here at Southside without anyone here. Uh, so if you can see behind me, this is where we normally sit for church, but we've changed it up this morning uh, so that we can have uh, an online community. We can still do our service together. Now, we recognize if you've been following this story over the last few months, and, and really it's ramped up over the last couple of weeks, we recognize that we've lost something really big in canceling church. Uh, it, it hurts us that we can't gather together. This is a gift that we have been given by God, that we can gather each week and encourage one another and point each other to Jesus. So we've lost something, but what's beautiful about this moment is that we still have something. Our unity together is a unity in Jesus, in what He's done for us uh, at the cross. He's united us together as brothers and sisters, as His children. And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing that we still have this, and it's an awesome thing that we still have the internet that we can still do this uh, church and this moment here for us right now. Um, there's a few things that we'd love to point out going on uh, at the moment that you can help us out with and, and that you should know about going on in the life of our church. So the first thing is something that we announced last night. Uh, we got you. Uh, it's a new campaign that we wanted to do. It might eventuate into a hashtag, I don't know, but this is our way that we want to care for you. So if you uh, want care in this time, if you want prayer, if you want a phone call, if you need a delivery, if you want some resources, if there's anything else that we can help you with, then if you head to www.southsidepc.org slash we got you, all the stuff is there for us to be able to care for you. But also, uh, we want to announce this, not just for us to care for you, but if you're available in this time to care for others, uh, then we'd love to know how uh, you can do that, and we'd love to know that you're available to do that as well. So if you head to that same uh, address, uh, our website slash we got you, or if you just head to our website, you'll see it uh, in one of the links up the top, then let us know that you're available to care for other people as well. Now, this morning church is going to look different. Uh, we don't have any music for us this morning. We hope that you've been set up in your homes with your Spotify playlists. Uh, we sent a message out this week saying that for the first time you get to choose your own songs. So we hope you had that uh, the joy of that experience this morning. Uh, this morning what we're going to do is basically uh, I'm going to read the Bible uh, and then Sam's going to come and preach for us, and then I'll pray at the end as well. Uh, that's that's what we've got this morning. Uh, we'd love to encourage you to to get onto our our Southside Magnification playlist, listen to some songs this morning. If you'd like some other content as well, just stay tuned to our social media platforms. Uh, we put a lot of stuff out there. I also am aware that right now. Uh, Lots of churches are doing this at the moment as well. So there's heaps of resources available today for you uh, to check out. Uh, as far as today goes, uh, there's some things to help you in your experience as you sit at home and um, you listen to this sermon that, that I'd love to encourage you to do. If there's stuff throughout this sermon that you like, or that you love, then we'd love to encourage you, hit those buttons on your uh, Facebook Live feed, if you are on Facebook Live. Uh, help us out in that kind of way. Uh, let us know that you're watching as well. Uh, secondly, we'd love to know what it looks like for you to do church right now. So if you're sitting there with your family, what we would love is for you to take a photo of what church looks like for you, and uh, to, to let us know, post it in the comments or uh, private message us. But we'd love to see what church looks like for you today, what this moment looks like for you uh, in this way, so that we can kind of enjoy that experience together. Uh, that's some things as well to kind of just how you interact with this. Uh, we'd also love to say there's something beautiful about church services normally. 
where you come in, you know, you don't normally sit on your phones as you sit in, in church. You get this moment of kind of undistracted time uh, to sit and hear from God. Uh, and so we'd love to encourage you that, that right now, if there's some distractions that you need to put aside, uh, to encourage you to do that. You know, if the TV's on in the background, turn it off, uh, un- unless the stream's going through that. If your phone doesn't have the stream, then, then put your phone away. Uh, gather together in this moment. Be still undistracted and hear from God. We have this opportunity now, so we'd love to encourage you uh, to do that. Uh, Additionally, if you've got your Bibles there, grab them out. If you are someone that takes notes, even if you don't, maybe this is a time to start taking notes. Uh, Get a pen, get some paper, get a highlighter ready, and and follow along in God's Word as we work through this. Uh, One more thing as well. At the end, uh, after Sam's sermon, I'm going to pray. If you would like me to pray for anything specifically going on for you or your household right now, if you send them through on the comments or if you message us or if you message me, wherever, then at the end I'll try and gather some of those together and we'll pray kind of as a church uh, on an ongoing thing uh, in this moment. So that being said, there's some stuff there to look at, but we are going to read the Bible now. So if you have your Bibles there at home, uh, I'd love you to encourage you. Or I'd love to encourage you to grab them open in John chapter 16. We're going to be reading from John 16 verse 25 through to 33 today. So I'm going to give you a chance to open your Bibles uh, to get them out. If there's anything else you need to do in this moment, I'm going to give you a few moments here to gather your thoughts, to to take a few deep breaths, to get your Bibles ready. We're in John 16 25 to 33, and I'll start reading in a few moments as you get your chance to do that together. All right. So we're in John chapter 16 today. Uh, I'm going to read this and then Sam's going to come up for us and uh, he's going to preach the word of God to us. Uh, Here it is, John chapter 16, verse 25. It says this, Though I have been speaking figuratively, A time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to, uh, to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you, have, uh, that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Hey guys, uh, my name's Sam. Uh, it's my absolute privilege to be opening up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, we, we are in a pretty strange setting at the moment, but I think this, this passage in John is so timely uh, right now for the situation we're in. Um, as, as you guys sit at home, uh, in this, uh, with so much uncertainty as what's going on in the world, uh, God is speaking to us this morning, uh, and it's it's so good that we get to open His Word together and and read uh, together and and hear from Him as we look at John 16. So we're we're going to be working through pretty much the whole passage today. Um, so please do keep your Bibles open, um, and let's 
Let's come before God now uh, in prayer as we, we open up his word together. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much that, that you are a good God and that you are in control. Uh, despite uh, the, the uncertainty that we have in this world, Lord God, you, you are our source of comfort. You remain in control. And Father, we, we just pray that as we come to, to hear you speak to us now, as we unpack this passage together, that you would remind us of the peace that we can have in knowing Jesus and, and being uh, people who, who belong to him. Uh, we just pray these things, Father, that you would uh, be with us by your spirit, help us to understand. And we ask this in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. When I was younger, uh, I had a source of, of comfort, uh, a little pillow that I took everywhere. I remember being about six years old and mum or dad, uh, they would drop me off at school and before I got out of the car, I'd, I'd give my little pillow a big sniff and a cuddle and then I'd leave it in the car and then walk into school. Then every afternoon, I'd get back in the car. First thing I'd do is I'd grab my, grab my little pillow, give it a big sniff and a cuddle. After a big day, that little pillow would be my source of comfort. But you know what? We, we all grow up eventually and we stop finding comfort in things. Well, that, that's not entirely true, is it? After I've had a big day, and once Lauren and I have got the kids in bed at night, the first thing that I do is I, I head to the kitchen, grab some snacks out of the cupboard, then I head to the living room, grab the remote, turn on Stan, and start watching Grey's Anatomy with Lauren. Grey's Anatomy and snacks is now my new source of comfort. When I've had a big day, and the world just feels crazy, and chaotic, because that's the kind of world that we're in right now, isn't it? The coronavirus is making the world crazy and chaotic. And when I want to escape that at the end of the day, Grey's Anatomy and snacks is my source of comfort in the chaos. Where's your source of comfort? In all the chaos that's been going on around you, where have you been turning for comfort? Have you been sinking into the content of Netflix or Stan or Disney Plus? Has it been music? Or once those noise-canceling headphones are on, nothing exists in the world between you and your music. Is it your garden? Have you been escaping to nature to distract you from the chaos of COVID-19? Is it the gym? Is it your phone? Is it your laptop? Is it Facebook? Where have you been turning for comfort? Because we all have somewhere we go for comfort in this crazy, chaotic world. So where have you been turning for comfort? And what do you think would happen if someone told you that you were going to lose that source of comfort? How would you respond to that? Because that's actually the very situation that Jesus' disciples find themselves in in our passage today in John chapter 16. Their comfort for the past three years or so has been a man who's been there for them through all kinds of crazy chaos. When their friend Lazarus dies in chapter 11, Jesus is the one who's there to comfort the disciples and walk beside them and even grieve with them. Jesus has been there for these guys when no one else has. And yet, as our passage begins today, it begins with Jesus telling these guys again that he's going to leave them. He's going to leave them. Have a read from verse 5, chapter 16, verse 5. Jesus says, But now I'm going to him who sent me. 
None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I said these things. Jesus has been there for these guys when no one else has, and now their one source of comfort is being taken from them. Now, to get some context, for the past few chapters, Jesus has been talking about how his hour has come. And this hour has been, is, is a reference to his death. See, in a few hours, he's going to be hanging from a cross by his hands and feet, suffocating to death. And he knows that that death is coming. And even though he knows it's coming, he's doing nothing to stop it. He's letting it come. For the past three years or so, Jesus has been to these disciples, their whole world. And now Jesus is saying to them, you're about to go through even greater grief than Lazarus's death. And I'm not going to be there for you when you do. The disciples are speechless at this point. Did you see that in verse 5? No one is asking questions. They're speechless. Their whole world's falling apart around them because the moment they need Jesus most, he's bailing. Their one source of comfort is leaving. Now, I was going to compare this to when I was a kid. Imagine if I was to come home from school and and my little pillow wasn't there. But but this is so much bigger than that, isn't it? Because the disciples, they haven't been putting their comfort in a thing. No, their comfort is in a person. No more than that, their comfort is in a guy who's, who's got the power to heal the sick and raise the dead. How is it that this guy who's got all the power in the world can be leaving those who need him most? Leaving isn't loving. To make matters worse, not only are the disciples grieving, but we see down in verse 16 that all this talk of Jesus leaving is just causing hurt and confusion for the disciples. Have a look. Verse 16, we read, Jesus went on to say, in a, little while when you'll, uh, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another. Notice, they're not, they're not turning to Jesus in this moment for answers and comfort. They're now turning to each other. Some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. The disciples are so confused about why Jesus is leaving. In verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you'll see me no more, then after a little while you will see me? Then verse 20, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. So if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that the disciples, they've heard some pretty unsettling stuff up to this point. Chapters 13 to 17 is just one big night for these guys. And it's the night right before Jesus' death. In a matter of a few short hours, because that's what chapters 13 to 17 are, just a few hours, in a few short hours, the disciples have been told that Judas, one of their closest friends, is going to betray Jesus. They've also been told that Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, is going to deny Jesus multiple times. And they've been told that Jesus is going to leave them. Their world is in utter chaos. Everything's falling apart around them. And they don't have Netflix or a set of headphones to to help them escape or block out that chaos. They're scrambling to find comfort in each other because Jesus isn't going to be around much longer. And the parting words that Jesus gives them is that they're going to weep and mourn and grieve while the world around them rejoices. Soon their best mate Jesus, their one source of comfort, is going to be hanging on a cross, breathing his last breath, and everyone except Jesus' disciples is going to be celebrating 
They're going to be cheering, celebrating because they've just put an end to Jesus' life. What an awful place for Jesus to leave his closest friends. Jesus leaving seems to be causing a huge problem for these guys. But is Jesus leaving as bad as it seems? Or is it actually a good thing that he leaves? As we get into the guts of this passage, we're actually going to see that it, it is a good thing that Jesus is leaving. Because even though the disciples are frantic, and even though they feel that they're about to lose their one source of comfort, Jesus wants them to know that it's actually a good thing that he's leaving. And he begins to tell them this from verse 7. Take a look. Jesus' words from verse 7. He says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So Jesus is saying it's, it's important that he leaves. It's for their good. It's a loving thim, thing for him to leave. So it's not that Jesus loves to leave, but that he's, he's leaving to love. And he's leaving so he can send this advocate back. Now this, this word advocate, it might sound a bit strange to you, but it doesn't sound strange to me because I grew up in Coffs Harbour. And when you live in Coffs Harbour, you receive the advocate every Wednesday and Saturday. Okay, so the advocate that Jesus is referring to here is the Holy Spirit, and the Coffs Coast advocate is actually just a newspaper. So not exactly the, the same thing, but the concept isn't too different. See, a newspaper, it, it has one job. It's to give us the news. And the advocate that Jesus is talking about here, the Holy Spirit, he's got a whole bunch of jobs, but one of his jobs is to bring us news. What kind of news? Well, that's what Jesus explains from verse 8. He says, verse 8, the Holy Spirit will come to prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So this advocate, this Holy Spirit, this, this good thing that Jesus is going to send when he leaves, he's going to bring us news. And not just biased journalism, journalism but real, truthful and confronting news. He's going to reveal to the world the real truthful news about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, if you're new to church, these, these three words, sin, righteousness, and judgment, well, they, they might sound a bit foreign to you. And I'll be honest, I've been around churches for a little while, and even I can struggle to make sense of these words sometimes. So, so what do they mean? Or, or more specifically, what does Jesus mean when he uses them here? Well, let's see what the text says. In verse 9, Jesus says that sin, that's our first word, is, is when people don't believe in him. So sin is rejecting Jesus and not trusting that Jesus is God's son. And in verse 10, Jesus says that righteousness, our second word, righteousness, is him going to the Father. It's having the right to be with God. And the only way we're given the right to be with God and are made right before God is through trusting in the only person who is right before God. It's through trusting in Jesus that He is God's Son. And judgment, that's our third word, judgment. Well, Jesus says in verse 11 that judgment will result in the prince of the world being condemned. 
Now, if, if rejecting Jesus is sin, then why doesn't Jesus just say that judgment is the condemning of our individual sins? So why does he mention this prince of the world? Well, it's because he's talking about a bigger, darker power that sits behind our rejection of Jesus, our rejection of God. And it's the work of Satan, the crafty liar who's been spreading lies about God to people since the beginning of time. He's the prince of the world because he has a power in the world to convince people to turn away from God. And what's really fascinating about how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in this passage, he's referred to as the spirit of truth. He's the opposite of Satan. While Satan is the liar with the power to, to convince people to turn away from God, the Holy Spirit is the truth teller with the power to turn people back to God. So when Jesus returns to judge, he'll be judging Satan and anyone who lives under his power, anyone who lives rejecting Jesus. And Jesus says that Satan already stands condemned because, well, Jesus is about to put an end to sin's reign, to Satan's reign, and he'll put an end to death. And he'll do that through his own death and resurrection. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, Satan will be robbed of his power and the Spirit will come to work against the evil by transforming people a spiritual battle is about to take place and it's a battle where satan is already the loser and remember the disciples they're, they're feeling as though jesus leaving is a problem they're grieving because they don't want to let jesus go they don't want to let their source of comfort go but jesus is telling them that by leaving he's going to send his spirit his spirit, who will essentially work as Jesus' agent with the power to attack Satan. He's going to come and help these disciples fight against Satan's lies. So yeah, the, the present moment for the disciples, it's hard, it sucks. They're losing their one source of comfort, their best mate. But, but even though it's hard, even though it sucks, Jesus' leaving is actually going to be so much bigger and better for them. He's leaving so he can send his spirit to come and live in them. And not only will the Spirit be with them fighting off Satan's attacks, but what we're about to see is the Spirit's also going to radically transform these disciples to have more of Jesus with them than ever before. Check out what Jesus says from verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll only speak what he hears, and he'll tell you what is yet to come. He'll glorify me, because it's from me that he'll receive what he'll make known to you. And then check out what Jesus says in verse 15. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the spirit will receive from me what he'll make known to you. See, when the Spirit comes, the disciples will not only understand fully the truth of who Jesus is and have a powerful agent on their side, but they'll actually become new people. They'll become one with Jesus, united to Him. Now, this can be a pretty hard thing to wrap our head around sometimes. So let, let me put it this way. Imagine Jesus is like an airplane and you're at the airport about to board the plane. Oh, and also imagine that the coronavirus isn't affecting your flight plans at the moment. Now, the plane that you're about to board has a destination. It's on its way to, to Melbourne. What relationship do you need to have with the plane so that you 
can get to Melbourne. Do you need to be next to the plane? No. Do you need to be behind the plane? No. No, you need to be in the plane. And once you're in that plane, whatever happens to the plane happens to you. This is kind of what it means to be united to Jesus. And this is the kind of relationship these disciples are going to have with Jesus after he leaves. See, right now, they're, they're with Jesus, but, but they're not in Jesus. They're still just standing at the airport looking at the plane on the runway. But after Jesus leaves, the Spirit's going to come and invite these guys to step into the plane. And once they're in that plane, once they're in Jesus, it's going to completely transform who they are. Whatever belongs to Jesus will now belong to them. They'll become God's sons just as Jesus is God's son. They'll be able to call on God as father just as Jesus can call him father. It's an incredible transformation and it's only made possible so long as Jesus leaves. This is, this is such a paradox because even though the disciples' one source of comfort is about to leave, even though they're about to lose Jesus, it'll actually result in them having more of Jesus with them than ever before. Often we can think, just like the disciples do here in this chapter, that surely it would be better if Jesus was still here on earth instead of in heaven. Well, that, that way people today wouldn't doubt Christianity because they'd be able to see Jesus and his miracles and hear his teaching firsthand. Surely it would be better for the kingdom, for Jesus to be still here on earth. But what this passage shows us is actually it's far better that Jesus left and gave us his spirit. Because it means that we have more of Jesus than ever before. And it's knowing this, knowing that we'll always have Jesus through the spirit, is what Jesus now goes on to, to say should cause us to have joy. And not just a temporary joy, but an unsnatchable joy. A joy that can never be taken from us. And that's what he goes on to illustrate for us from verse 20. Now we've seen already from verses 16 to 20 how the disciples are confused about Jesus' news that he's leaving. And it makes sense that they're confused because the spirit of truth, he hasn't come yet to begin his work of transformation in these guys. Jesus can see that they're confused. So in an attempt to comfort them, he uses a parable, an illustration that they'll understand to paint the picture of what is to come. And in verse 20, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You'll grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Then from verse 21, he describes this unsnatchable joy. He compares the joy they're going to have to the joy a mum has when she meets her baby for the very first time. Let's read from verse 21. A woman giving birth, giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Now, I'm not really qualified to talk about childbirth because I'm not a woman, uh, but I have been there with Lauren for the birth of both of our kids. And it's such a surreal moment, seeing how much pain and anguish mothers go through giving birth, and yet at the other side... There's new life, and it's a real life. Jesus' illustration here, 
It actually works two ways. First, there's a real life at Jesus' resurrection. It's not a ghost or a spirit that walks out of that tomb. It's a real living Jesus. And when the disciples next see Jesus, they're going to see the man who's both living and real and who's conquered death with his own body and is going to absolutely blow their mind. It's going to fill them with so much joy that their grief that they're feeling right now will be forgotten. But the second way that this illustration works is not only will the disciples forget their current grief when they see Jesus resurrected, but profoundly, profoundly, when the Spirit comes after Jesus leaves, we will receive new life with Jesus through his resurrection. Because remember that when we're in the plane, what happens to the plane happens to us. So if Jesus dies to rob Satan and sin of their power and is raised to life after his death, we're also raised to life with him because we're in him. Jesus' death and resurrection gives us new life. And it's a new life now, where we're no longer under Satan's power because we have Jesus' spirit with us to defend us. It's a new life now where Jesus' spirit becomes our spirit. And it's also a new life now where Jesus' Father becomes our Father. We're essentially reborn. Reborn as as children, not of the world, but children of God. I remember the very first time that that I held our kids when they were born. I picked them up, I embraced them, and I remember thinking, I, I never want to let you go. As their dad, all I wanted to do is, is be close to them and watch over them and protect them. So the moment we become God's children, God takes us in his arms and he embraces us with his eternal love. This is the joy that Jesus wants his disciples and us to know. And what better time to know this joy than right now as we live in a world of chaos. We have no control over the coronavirus right now. Our world's in panic mode. Countries are in lockdown trying to minimize the effects of something that none of us actually have control over. And what do we all want right now? Since none of us have control over the chaos, we all just want to get away from it, get away from the chaos. We want to escape. And we want to escape by looking for comfort in other stuff in flicks and food and phones and Facebook. The problem is, when I go to find comfort in Grey's Anatomy, Grey's Anatomy doesn't get rid of my problem. See, as as soon as the episode's over, I'm back to thinking about the chaos. And the joy of Grey's Anatomy is short-lived. It's snatched away. And it's worse when we go to our phones or Facebook for this comfort or joy. Because our news feeds, which once distracted us from our troubles, are now filled with reminders of the chaos that we're living in. And the thing that used to bring us joy now causes us more hurt and more anxiety. But what Jesus wants us to know here is there's a joy. There's a joy that the world's chaos can't take away from us. And it's the joy of knowing Jesus the joy of knowing Jesus and knowing who you are in Jesus. Knowing you are loved by God and your life is securely in his grip 
for eternity. And what kind of love do we get from God? Well, when we're in Christ, we can expect to get the same love from God that Jesus gets. In verse 32, Jesus tells us what that love is like. It's an unabandoning love. Look at the end of verse 32. Jesus says, You'll leave me all alone. He's talking about the disciples. They're going to bail on Jesus at his death when he's hanging on the cross. You'll leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone. For my Father is with me. Even though the disciples are going to let go of Jesus when things get hard, God's love for Jesus is unabandoning. Even as the world rejects Jesus and the disciples run away from him, God doesn't abandon him. And that's incredibly comforting for us. Because if the Spirit's enabled us to be in Jesus, to board the plane, then it means God loves us with the same unabandoning love He has for Jesus. Because whatever happens to our plane happens to us. Once God takes us in His arms as His children, He never lets us go. That's the comfort Jesus goes to when He's hanging on the cross, abandoned by the world. And it's the same comfort Jesus wants us to have too. But how do we get that comfort? Well, that's what Jesus has been building to in this chapter. It's in verse 33, as, as his words reach their climax, Jesus shows us where we need to be to find this unsnatchable, unabandoning comfort. He says to them in verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This word, this word peace that he uses here has, has this idea of tranquility. Tranquility. It's the opposite of chaos, the opposite of destruction, the opposite of trouble. Tranquility is the place we all want to go to get away from the hurt and the noise and the chaos of the world. When I hear the word tranquility, I think of a time when I'm younger. I'm camping. I've just woken up in the morning, in the country, just as the sun's beginning to rise over the mountains. The grass is damp with dew under my feet. I can hear nothing except the distant call of birds waking from their sleep. I make my way down to the river, to the edge of the water. and The water there is just gently lapping against the rocks. There are no concerns on my mind. My mind's at rest. And isn't that what we're all trying to find in Netflix and in music and at the gym? The problem is we, we can't find it in those things, at least not in any lasting way. We may be able to use this stuff as a place to hide from the chaos for a bit, but these things can't get rid of the chaos. So what's the tranquility or the peace that Jesus is talking about here? And is this peace any better than what we get from our phones or our music? Well, let's look again at what he says in verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's two things here. 
True peace, true tranquility can only be found in Jesus. And because it's in Jesus, it's bigger and better than the world. So we try and, and find peace or tranquility or comfort when we try and find that stuff in, in Netflix or music or food or our phones, we're asking the world to bring us comfort from the world. But what Jesus is wanting us to feel, wanting us to know in this passage, is that he's given all of himself to us through his Holy Spirit. So that we won't run to things of this world for comfort, but so that we would run to him, fling our arms around him and call on him for comfort. When we're face to face with chaos, Jesus is calling us to take heart. He's calling us to stop, to stop and reflect and meditate on what it means that we are now in him. That our futures are now secure because we're in him. That we're not going to be abandoned in the chaos because we're now in him. That no dark force or power of Satan can snatch us away from God because we're now so gripped by Jesus that we are one with him. It's meditating and reflecting on these truths that's going to bring us tranquility, peace, or comfort from the crazy, chaotic world we live in. And we shouldn't wait to do this meditation and reflection at the end of the day or when there's a break in the chaos. We should be coming to Jesus in the chaos, stopping and praying for this peace when we've lost control, stopping and reading our Bibles, letting God remind us who we are in Jesus when we start to feel our identity shaken by the world. And as churches shut down for a while, we now need to be actively talking to each other, reminding each other that who we are in Jesus, reminding each other to take heart, not in the stuff of this world, but take heart knowing that Jesus has overcome the world. One day the music will eventually fade out. The food will be consumed and even Grey's Anatomy, which just seems to run forever, it will eventually fade to black and never return. The comforts of this world can never fully satisfy us. That's why we need to depend on Jesus, on the one who's overcome the world. It's in him alone that we should seek comfort. Because although the things of this world will fade, our God won't. He'll always have a joy to give us. His peace will always be available to us because He's the eternal God who'll neither leave us nor abandon us. He doesn't come and go like the things of this world. No, He's in us and we are in Him. And this will always be true because there is no power in this world that can separate us from the one who's overcome the world. There's no force that can separate us from Jesus. In Him, we are fully loved. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank You so much for the truth of this passage, the timeliness of this passage to remind us that we have a comfort that is so greater, so much greater, so much bigger, so much better than the things of this world. We have a comfort in knowing Jesus, in the One who has overcome the world. Father, so many of us are, are filled with anxieties and, and stress because of what's going on in the world. Lord, help us not to run to the things of this world to find comfort, but help us to run to Jesus, 
Help us to, to remember and reflect on who we are in Jesus. That through his death and resurrection, he has bought us. That we are his and he is ours. Help us in these times to run to him, to know him, to reflect on who we are in him. Help us also, Lord, to, to, to remind each other of this. As we miss out on the opportunity to meet together on Sundays, help us to, to pick up the phone and, and talk to each other, remind each other of what it means that we are in Jesus, that we might seek comfort in him and in him alone. Lord, we thank you so much for this passage and the timeliness of it in the chaos that we live in. We pray all of these things, Lord, trusting in who we are in Jesus as, as your children, dearly loved by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.